Hello, and welcome to the Technicast. In today's episode, we continue our series around archives. Carrying on from last time, we're still in the medium of film, somewhat. But our guest, artist and doctoral researcher Evan Daly, also engages with site-specific feminist artworks and performances. In their evocative and rich piece, Evan takes us to the west coast of Ireland, on the footsteps of artists Anne Tallentire and Alana O'Kelly. Evan discusses the entangled sites that inspired the artists, and seeks to unlearn relations to place and pasts that are produced by imperialism and nationalism. Listening beyond the dominant narratives of place, they begin to see place itself as an archive, or rather, they begin to question what constitutes an archival relation. As some listeners will know, this is close to my own heart and interest, and it was a joy to speak with Evan about some of their fascinating ideas. You can hear our conversation after their piece in ten minutes or so, so stay tuned. But first, here's Evan to guide you to a different time and a different place. It is 1988. An artist, Anne Tallentire, is walking a mountain pass in County Galway on the west coast of the Republic of Ireland. The pass is called Mam Ain and it trails through the Mam Turks mountain range. Mam Ain is a Gaelic name which Tallentire translates as the gap of two birds. This is the same name she gives to the artwork that emerged from her walk on Mam Ain over three decades ago. With the Super 8, Tallentire filmed her walk. Watching the silent black and white film, my eyes follow the artist's movement up the mountain. I cannot see her body. Behind the camera, she is glimpsed just once, her hair windswept across her face in the final frame. I follow her camera movement, aware of a walking pace, as if I walk beside her. I see the stone path of the mountain pass, see the scaling of a rocky horizon. For Catholics, Mam Ain is a sacred site. The steep path that winds up the mountain is host to a pilgrimage three times a year. At the top of the pass stands a small chapel and stations of the cross where pilgrimage prayers are said. There's a statue of St. Patrick. The religious story that established the site as sacred tells of St. Patrick, the nation's patron saint and the man famed as bringing Christianity to Ireland, ascending the mountain to bless the region. Predating this Catholic narrative, Mam Ain has pagan associations. It is said that Lunasa, the annual celebration of harvest in early August, was marked there. Tallentire built upon the film making a multimedia exhibition at the Showroom Gallery in London in 1989. Performing in the installation, Tallentire made charcoal rubbings of the words North and South on white paper. She approached gallery visitors, asking them to choose one. Tallentire is from Armagh in Northern Ireland, and in 1989, the sectarian conflict known as the Troubles had been going on for two decades. The words North and South were particularly politically loaded in this context. 
A few years later, in 1994, and about 40 miles north of Maumain, artist Alana O'Kelly visits a burial ground on Silver Strand Beach in County Mayo. The mound of sand and stone that marked the mass grave has since been eroded by the winds swept away by the ocean. This ground holds a famine grave. The region suffered particularly during the Irish famine on Goethe Moor between 1845 and 1852. People have been pushed out to the west of the country, to land that was inhospitable to growing, displaced from their homes during the enclosure of land in the making of the British plantation system. This site is likely a burial ground of older origin, as it was a monastic settlement in the 6th century. This place on Silver Strand Beach was known to some as the Sanctuary, and to others as a wasteland. Sanctuary Wasteland is the title of O'Kelly's artwork, a film that attends to the burial mound developed from her visits to the site and the practice of sounding grief called keening. In the film, an image of the burial mound is layered with close-up images of the mound and its surrounds, slowly shifting, creating an illusion of seeing into and beyond the mound. The images are accompanied by a soundtrack of the artist Keening. These places, Mom Ain Pass and Silver Strand Beach, these places from which these artworks emerged, are located in and around the region of Connemara. Connemara is a Gaeltacht area, an area that was predominantly Irish-speaking at the time of the establishment of the Irish Free State in 1922. Since independence, successive Irish governments have promoted the region of the West as a site of cultural inspiration and tourism, bolstering a romantic narrative of a lost rurality. The Wild Atlantic Way is a tourism trail that was developed in 2014 that navigates the Atlantic coast and through Connemara. It capitalises on the beauty of the land and seascape, showcasing, according to the Irish Tourism Board, the best of the country. Mom Ain and Silverstrand Beach are two of the discovery points on this trail, along with famine memorials and sites of cultural interest. In August 2020, I visited the region, camping on the coast along with the tourists and holidaymakers. It was busy, a sunny spell during some loosening of pandemic restrictions. Although I was a visitor, I was not on holiday. I went there as these places were my archive of sorts or they replaced my need for an archive, became an archival relation that disrupted my idea of an archive. I was here to get a sense of my entanglement with this place, this land, to feel what the artworks by Talentire and O'Kelly were unearthing and what they were being unearthed by. I've walked Maumain Pass, a grey fog hanging over the mountains. I went to Silverstrand Beach on a warm day, my task uneasy amid people picnicking and sunbathing, children playing. I didn't really know what to do. How did I arrive here? Responding to this question involves rewinding to the beginning of the project the previous year, when I would go regularly to the study room of the Live Art Development Agency, also known as LADA, in East London. LADA is an organisation dedicated to supporting live art making and research, and it holds a vast collection of live art and performance documentation and books 
interviews and ephemera. My project at that point was focused on mapping a history of feminist live art in Ireland. Official archives authorise access, authorises whose knowledge should be preserved and cared for, therefore determining what is valid as knowledge. The apparent ephemeral nature of performance has meant that the question of documenting and archiving performance has been a subject of much debate among scholars and artists in the field. In recent decades, the debate has pooled around the question of whether performance operates within or outside of the economy of reproduction. I won't subject you to the details of this debate, but suffice it to say that it falls around the question of disappearance. Peggy Phelan argued that performance disappears, it cannot be reproduced. Each iteration of performance will be different. I follow the thinking of poet and scholar Fred Moten, who proposes that, quote, disappearance is not absence. Moten is engaged in, contributes to, the body of thought emerging from the black radical tradition. His thinking with what Sadia Hartman calls the afterlife of slavery disrupts binary notions of absence and presence, the past and the present, self and other, ideas rooted in the violence of imperialism and white supremacy. Separation, the thinking that I, we, human and non-human, are divided in time and space, pervades Western epistemology. I moved from a mapping of history that gathered under the framework of the nation-state and limiting archival processes. I moved from the library at Lada, and I followed Talentire and O'Kelly to the region of Connemara, arriving at the land. This was a move to take seriously the non-human in processes of historiography and art-making. The effects of colonial oppression in Ireland from the enclosure of land to the instituting of an imperial border are themes that O'Kelly's film Sanctuary Wasteland and Talentire's The Gap of Two Birds, respectively, attend to. Displacement, death, emigration, grief. But in Connemara, I felt how heavily state-sanctioned narratives of loss and self-determination were impressed in place, how they operate akin to the colonial cartographer's project of reducing in order to control how place is perceived and how land is related to. These particular narratives are anchored in nostalgia and elaborate a position of victimhood. But the amplification of these narratives leaves little space for nuance, for other voices and critical perspectives, for hearing the effects of historical and contemporary Irish perpetration of violence and participation in settler colonialism for hearing those seeking asylum in the country, those held for years in direct provision centres, over ten of which are located in the counties of Galway and Mayo. Historical displacements in this land cannot be thought separately to current needs for asylum. So Evan's joining us in the studio now. Thank you very much, Evan, for this really interesting and very rich piece. Thanks, Julian. Nice to be in conversation with you here. There are so many points we could pick up on, really, but because it's an episode about archives, I think I'd quite like to start with, with your take on archives as 
separating, separating us from place, separating us from history. And you talk about limiting archival processes sort of in the context of access, in the context of who defines knowledge. And we'll get back to that later, I think. But my first question for you is, what do we gain or what did you gain from being in place as a researcher? I think I was trying to work beginning from the idea that we're already entangled with place, not begin from the notion that we're separate. And so going to the west of Ireland and, and visiting the sites of those performances or those sites of inspiration was a way to, I guess, not so simply say that, oh, by visiting this, I'm, I'm entangling myself. I'm already entangled but to sort of sense beyond what I might be able to glean from just watching uh, documentation of a performance or, or reading about the region. Um, so it's to say that it's both possible to sense, to sense more once you're in place, but also to sense that you cannot know all, right? Yeah. And did you, did you have a previous entanglement with that specific place or did you come, did you come at it fresh? My my only visit to the place, um, to that sort of region, was as a child on holiday. Uh, so I was coming at it from a very different place this time. And as I said, it was it, uh, I sort of alluded to a little bit in the in the piece that actually arriving there and being in the middle of tourist season, in the middle of holiday season, um, was sort of a very strange experience because everyone's on a particular frequency and a particular sort of way of relating to the place. And, and I was there with this notion of like work or trying to access something else, which felt quite difficult among that sort of energy. I found that bit really interesting because obviously how we engage with place is also quite subjective and depends on you know a lot of our own background and the specific situation. So what did you think might have been the limitations of that for you in in that particular context, you know, being there as t tourist season, also, you know, in between lockdowns um, where our relationship to place changed anyway. Did you, did that make you change your perception on it? I think it's not so much that I changed my perception of the place, which, which I did, but I think the learning for me through that experience was how how intense and how how loud sort of state sanctioned uh, narratives of these places are and and what it takes to to approach it differently so yes it's not it's i think i i came away from the the site visit feeling like nothing's happened and actually through the process of the project and over the past years thinking about the place remembering being there imagining being there that all slowly um shifts ships perception so yeah I think I was a little bit naive going there and imagining I'm gonna have this like instant transformation um because actually those processes are very like conditioned and deeply embedded in our psyches and bodies and how did you find having done all of this work already in the archives having engaged with those artworks from a distance first did you bring preconceptions with you? One of the reasons for the question is Patrick Kavanagh, who's an Irish poet that you might know, he talks about the, um, that to know a single field is a lifetime's work. 
Um, and so, you know, that attention to detail and to connecting to the place takes a lot of time. So how did these, this rift between from a distance with other people's engagement to then your own, how did you bridge that? I think one of the things when I was working in, in, in LADA at the Live Art Development Agency, I was actually reading a lot about the problems of the archive rather than specific engagement with these works. I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what artworks from this history of feminist live art in Ireland I was going to engage with. Like I had to choose your your subject, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I was sort of waiting or maybe in some framework manifesting what they might be. Um, sorry, I'm, I've lost the train of the question now. It was about your conceptions engaging with from a distance to then being there and how long it takes to really yes. connect with a place. So the question of distance, the distance and archive are quite interesting because I was I was learning from thinkers who are sort of emphasizing the issue of the archive as something that creates distance. Um, but that distance is actually an illusion. And that 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 physics, <laughs> that quantum physics um, theory that actually of non-locality, that things even at a distance affect each other, right? Like proximity and closeness is, are, are not um, are not necessary criteria for affect change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in some ways, I I feel like that distance was bridged, if that's how we want to sort of frame it, um, through this focusing or or. Um, waiting for or for something to come to me as much as me to it um i know we don't usually speak in these sort of terms in <laughs> academic research but i think there was some element of this waiting for some coincidences to happen i think that's a really interesting point of you know our role as researcher as also you know human beings with all our cultural context our backgrounds our everything that we bring to this we can't like you know we can't separate ourselves from what we from what we do and I think place is a great example of that because it's sort of impossible to be out of place um, in that way and I found that then you know leading on to sort of the next topic of your of your piece you know place itself as an archive Um, I wonder if you could elaborate that on a a, on, on that a bit more in terms of so what how does that work how does place itself become an archive i think i can speak to it in in this irish context um i think it's a sort of bigger question and it's very place and specific land and relation um determined but historically um the connection between place and memory or place and knowledge is rooted in the Gaelic language and the naming of places. And so in the anglicizing of place names that took place during the colonial times and the, the mapping of this land, Gaelic names were rendered into the English. And so that knowledge, a very specific knowledge of, of place was uh, erased. And so I think with some of the artworks, particularly um, Anne Talentires, is really attending to that loss of language. 
Um, but I also have spent some time because I, I didn't I don't want to overemphasize language as the, as the only way to relate or access knowledge. And so again, it, it's back to this notion of, of of sensing, so of being in a place and and sensing and even speculating what knowledge or or what it might what information it might hold. Um, I think I've learned a lot as well from indigenous scholars and communities and, and cosmologies that approach places as land and they talk about places land and the land as land and human relation as a form of agency um but i'm not um i'm not practiced or experienced enough in in that sort of cosmology but i think i think initially i imagined that that's what i the phd would be that i would somehow go to this part of Ireland and, and begin relating to it um, on that level. But of course, that's, that's what I found was lots of like blocks and lots of um, my own conditioning um, that, that limit that. And Yeah, even there, so what you say about language and place and how that it's, again, comes with its own limitations as well, because language is also quite specific. So I found it really interesting when you brought in um, the artworks, which are film, which deal with not just language, but other senses, and I think don't even really use words that much, do they? No, there is, uh, yeah, the film, the films themselves, there's, there's no, um, no words, no spoken language in, in the installation there, there is, but sorry, go on. Yeah, and then you talk about the, that it creates the illusion of seeing into or beyond the mound. So I wonder why you say illusion in that context. Is there, is it really just an illusion or is there actually much more tangible a, a connection by engaging with it through art, through a different kind of poetics? Mm. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought that that word was perhaps not correct usage in that context. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes. Um, definitely more tangible the how I feel less sure about but I think feminist practices of, of speculation and imagination are are part of this I think these two artworks are emerging from a very feminist practice in Ireland at the time yeah I think illusion we can think of not only in in negative connotation but in mm. in imagining yeah, I'm wondering, I mean, I think I'm maybe just bringing my own work into this, which is quite linked to it. And and I've been reading a bit about geocriticism and sort of the act active link between place and literature or place and art and how they actually create each other in a way. And so I was sort of thinking of the notion of also of disappearance that you bring in because a performance, you, you know, you say a performance sort of, disappears but is that also something that is absorbed in the place yeah and um and then you can feel that or engage with it i think so i would like to think so <laughs> um i feel as i said in the piece following fred moton that disappearance is not the same as absence so something might be not visible but that doesn't mean it's not in existence, right? So if we take that again, like I'm going back to physics, but that very basic law of energy doesn't 
cannot be destroyed, it can only be transformed. Yeah, we can imagine that something that happens in place, a performance is absorbed somehow into the into the land and can be felt in, in multiple other ways. But we're not that's not how we that's not how we um approach or live life in in, in the West. But yeah, I want to believe that. So would you say that place is a kind of presencing? Hmm. Oh, I, I feel like unsure about the word presence, I think, particularly mm -hmm. in this, this, this context of uh, absence, presence, disappearance. Why is that? What's your hesitation? I think the credence on, again, on the visible and on, on the like actively felt feels um, perhaps limiting that even though I can't feel it or it's not uh, it's not perceivable to my senses doesn't mean that it's also not not there right so it's again moving away from a human-centric perception and and yeah knowing that actually there's many things beyond my perception too so yeah the word presence in that context feels maybe we don't have the word for it actually perhaps maybe we don't actually even have in our language a word for what that that is um that that feeling is yeah that's an interesting thought isn't it because language and culture are so interlinked that we wouldn't have a a way to express this which other languages might have right or we might have had in the past or and we still might have in the future but perhaps right now we don't it says a lot about how we live i suppose yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i wanted to move on because we've we've mentioned it sort of at the start you mentioned it in your piece on state sanctioned narratives of place and you know place narratives in general you say and you come from a feminist practice so in terms of place narratives that are politicized how do you feel about about that is that something that we can't change and so we engage with it in that way so we politicize counter narrate give different views of it or is there also an issue with politicizing place narratives i think there are always multiple narratives And in this context, the state narrative is loud. I keep using that word. I'm not sure what other word to use. Good word. <laughs> that all of these other narratives exist and can still exist. It's just about listening for them, creating them, imagining them, making them more explicit, which I think is what I'm trying to do in, in the project is amplify other narratives but I think there's something in the question about state sanctioned narrative and place mm -hmm. and I think you said something about ownership of narrative yeah who owns narrative who owns place in that way yeah it feels with that word I, I feel like it's hard to ignore that in the west land is property or or it's it's owned either by the state or by individuals and so there is a perception that therefore because land is owned and these these narratives are in this place that that, that is the the dominant and only narrative that we cannot access other narratives other stories and so yeah it's really challenging this notion that yes place is produced and meaning is produced but we can produce it differently than, than what is already there i find that link that you make between enclosure mm which is essentially that, isn't it? It's place as, as property, as commodity, and how that then leads to a single narrative and to someone owning it and defining that. 
really interesting and um and it's something i think about a lot as well in the meaning of home and i don't know if you've read um homi baba's location of culture where he talks a lot about place as a site of negotiation so all the narratives coming together um which seems to be one of the things that you know through this art through a feminist practice or other practices we can we can bring it's these counter narratives to place as negotiation yes that's um it's really great to speak to you about this because actually i've not read that and i really need to by the sense of it i think one of the, the things i've been thinking about and, and learning with um Catherine mckittrick and her work um, in demonic grounds is the issue of what she calls the naturalization of place and identity, or we could say home in this context too, that actually we we really need to complicate, particularly, I mean, it's, it's with the need for migration and, and climate crisis that's happening in the world, and the need to complicate this, this notion of like identity place feels quite urgent in this Irish context that I spoke a little bit about at the end in terms of this historic narrative in Ireland of like emigration and Ireland as a victim of, of imperialism but also then at the same time its role today in settler colonialism in how it treats asylum seekers on this on the very land in, in Connemara itself and so it's trying to hold all these um, these threats together super interesting and i think i mean that now opens up a whole different discussion about about nation and about all of these things and i think we're probably running out of time for that but um i was just as a sort of wrap-up wanted to ask you do you have plans to go back to these places to tr see how it changes how it transforms and and what do you what have you yourself gained from being there as a person rather than a researcher? <laughs> I think I thought I would go back before I finished the PhD, but I realized that actually I have so much material already <laughs> that it felt quite overwhelming. I think it, it became, I wanted to go more, but it became quite complicated with pandemic restrictions. I would like to go back when I'm finished, actually, when the project is done and, and continue that relation and that work beyond because it's more than as you said it's like more than a research project in so many ways it's like a, a life project but yeah it, it's it's also just a really a really incredible part of of the world I don't know it myself sadly but I definitely want to go after yeah after this discussion yeah I mean <laughs> bring your rain jacket but <laughs> yeah it's, um... so I hear it comes straight <laughs> off the Atlantic doesn't it yeah yeah but yeah I think I think as you said, home and and diasporic positions and 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 lots of lots of things to think about and, and process. And final question: Has it changed your relation with your current place, where you are now in southeast London? I think so. I think Nunhead Cemetery, which is just a few minutes walk away, is somewhere that I find myself walking a lot, and I think processing a lot of these thoughts there. And so probably should acknowledge that place as, <laughs> as part of it too. Great. Thank you very much, Evan. Thanks, Julian. Evan Daly is an artist researcher working with performance and writing. 
They are currently undertaking a PhD in the School of Arts at the University of Roehampton in London. And that's all for this episode of the Technicast. I do hope you enjoyed it. If so, please share the episode with people you think will be interested. You can subscribe to the Technicast wherever you get your podcasts. The Technicast is run by Polly Hember, Felix Klutzen, Edwin Gilson and myself, Julien Klein. Thanks go to Techne for their ongoing support. Thanks also to today's guests, Evan Daly. And on behalf of the whole team, to you, thanks for listening. Thank you.